Hey guys, I had Amber Skies on the podcast movie this week. Amber and I actually went to college together, where she was a theater minor, I was a theater major. Um, but now she's not only an actress, she is a customer and a model, uh, predominantly working in like convention settings, cosplay type settings, um, which, you know, cosplay is getting bigger and bigger nowadays. Kind of why I was interested in talking with her because she's had some pretty big events happen for her recently. And part of the whole vibe of this uh, podcast is to look at all the different ways you can actually be a working artist in a city like this. So I was really excited that I had a chance to sit down and talk with her a little bit. She's also a full-time teacher, so being able to balance these passions with her other day job is, is something I'm really interested in. It's uh, great personality, very enthusiastic. I hope you guys can uh, learn a little something from Amber Skies. Starting out as Phoenix, I'm Tony Machete. I have Amber Skies with me today. How are you doing? Oh, awesome, thanks. How are you guys? Fantastic, thank you. We are all great. Um, so, we, the collective we meaning I. <laughs> um, so uh, I am really glad we got to finally find some time to talk a little bit because you have a very interesting angle into like implementing the skills that we learned in the theater department back, mm-hmm. back in college um, in a really interesting way. So tell me a little bit about how you got into like cosplay. Well, okay, so it was so much fun. And speaking of theater, I essentially learned everything that I know about costuming now from um, NAU. So representing back home up in Flagstaff. Um, my professors up there were incredibly patient with me not knowing anything whatsoever and jumping right into theatrical costuming workshop. Um, so I'm literally only a theater minor and I found myself in the building more and more and the professors were all convinced I was a major because I was around so often. And um, so they, they, they taught me everything from square one. I learned how to use a sewing machine up in Flagstaff for the very first time, um, learned how to do all my hand stitching. And from there, I just kind of took all the classes that I took and I thought, well, why, why just specialize in one thing? I could do a little bit of all of this and like mold it into my own twist on things. And so I did, I took the costuming, I took the prop making, I took the makeup classes and the this classes and I turned it into what I do now, which is cosplay or costuming um, and prop making. So it's a mix of everything that I learned up in Flagstaff, as well as the things that I've kind of been conditioned to over the course of like my life. You know, since I was little, I've been like an actor and ridiculous and bubbly and everything else. So the personality coupled with my really lucky family upbringing, I have come from a long line of artists. And so I've always been really supported. Um, My dad taught me everything I know about painting. And so one thing just kind of molded into one thing and led to another. And when I found out what a comic convention was, all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, why are these people all dressed up and it's not Halloween? I could do this. I could do this better. And so I started to like not only just attend these shows, but kind of use everything that I had built up over my life to start participating in them. And that's where I find myself now. So exciting. So, so you, you have a lot of art in your family. So what was your first kind of foray into something creative? Oh gosh. Um, well, obviously acting came first because that's 
I guess not naturally, naturally for me came first because um, I was involved in a lot of theater when I was little. So I was, you know, five and doing my first plays on and off, just, you know, Community theater plays, yeah, like community, community theaters, school plays. Um, I went to, uh, sounds kind of snotty, funny saying this now, my parents with the first child were like, oh, we're going to give her the best education possible. So they enrolled me in a private arts school. Ooh, hoity-toity when I was little. I so. no idea. Yeah, yeah, private arts elementary school. So when I was little biddle, um, my first two years of preschool all the way up until fourth grade, I was in a private arts school. And arts integration, it was theater, music, and you had a specialty for each of those things. And so we would take our pottery classes and like the, all the stuff that you don't get in like a, a public school setting, I was lucky enough to be exposed to and that's what made me fall in love with all of it. So clay work and painting and you know all those things that I love now and especially acting. So my first like big show, I was Maria and the Sound of Music in fourth grade. <laughs> and so um, that was my first dip really into musical theater and then from there it just kind of skyrocketed and I went woo and started doing everything off and on through middle school and then into high school then into college and here I am now I haven't gotten a lot of chance since college to do theater outside um more so acting gigs rather than theater of freelance stuff you and I have actually worked together we did um this really cool event with uh Lazos uh, Tara Lazos Creative um, those guys are amazing, by the way. <laughs> so yeah, Tara Lazo's Creative um, has booked you and I actually on a couple of occasions to do some improv work and you know character acting. So it's just been stuff on and on. But I forget where I was going with that. But that's <laughs> yeah, I babble on and on. So no, it's, it's great. Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of stuff that I wanted to touch on later on yeah, as well. Yeah, but go um, back to it. so why uh, why do you feel like performance did stand out? I mean, if you got to try your hand at all these awesome things, all these visual arts and music and all this stuff, like what was it about? acting that you feel like made it your first love, I guess? It just, it jives with my personality. I'm just so vivacious as is the fact that I could be loud and brass and cry and scream and do all of these things that I do in my bedroom or at my house just for fun on a stage and people go, wow, that's actually pretty good and enjoy it. I also like theater for the fact that it's not just the acting on the stage, it's the costumes, it's the lights, it's the everything that put together into making a show. And so... I knew how to do most of those things. So I could dress myself, I could paint myself, and then I could perform on top of all of that. That sounds like a great deal. So acting is kind of what made me love it as a child. So. That, that is interesting that you say that though, because I feel like with a lot of people I've talked to and stuff too, it seems like a lot of actors are almost the opposite of that. They're not very vivacious. They're they're pretty they're withdrawn off stage, but then they, they kind of use the stage to get out of themselves. But you've never it's, been like that. It's huh? so weird. It's so weird like that, yeah. but. You know, it's, it's a draw for me that way because I get to be all the sides of my personality that I'm sometimes not as well. So you see the bubbly, you see the out there, you see the vivacious. And then there's also all those like dark brooding undertones that can exist in there. And like those are fun to bring out sometimes too. You know, I'm not actually mood and dark, but sometimes it's fun to pretend like I'm mood and dark. So, yeah, I really like that a lot. And I like, you know, I like being a one man show. I really do. I like knowing that if the makeup artist doesn't show up, I'm not SOL, or if my costume rips, I know how to fix it myself. So I like being a little bit of a renaissance woman that way and being able to, you know, problem solve. If worse comes to very worst, I could help someone else put on the eyelashes or, you know, tighten them up into their corset or whatever. I like being able to help in all areas. So I appreciate and love all the sides of the art so much. I think that's why I wanted to dip myself into all of those different avenues as well the only thing i've never really tackled before is like sound production but i like ran sound in high school so i guess that kind of counts but okay. yeah I've, I've dabbled in all of those things so i like to before i immerse myself completely in it know what it's like to be in that person's shoes so 
you know, in the theatrical world, I see how hard everybody works in their own avenues of putting that show together because I tried it myself and I like to put my money where my mouth is <laughs> before I tell somebody what I think about what they did. So. so, and you mentioned you were a theater minor. So what was your initial major in going into college? Um, I am an education major. So I'm a teacher um, and I actually teach around here. I teach third grade in Arizona here. So um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. The reason I was drawn to education so much is I guess I just love kids as is. Uh, every job I've ever had is revolved around kids, even like acting for children. Children is really what my job on the weekend is. So yeah, I, I teach. wanted to ask. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. You, you do um, like party characters and stuff like that. As I well. do, I do, yeah. And a lot of people who like love Disney and are actors um, in Arizona and California, but really all over the U.S., it's really taken on. Um, these princess companies have popped off, um, and it really is. Is it's, it's weekend performing gigs of one or two hour improv sessions, essentially, where you are a character, you embody that that Disney face that they know so much. Um, and you go to their house, you sing, you put on the show. So it's it's acting. It's 100% acting. But I think the reason I like it so much is because it's a perfect meld of teaching and acting. It's trying to wrangle cats and get them to listen to you. <laughs> but at the same time, like putting on a show that's worthy of a decent pay because people pay a lot for this sort of thing. And so you want to be the best of the best. You want to give them their product. They're paying for you and you want to be the best you that you can be. So that means looking the part. That means sounding the part. That means acting the part. That means there's no down days because if they're dropping a couple dollars to your company to have you come out to their house for a custom show which is what it is um, you want to make sure it's the best it can be so that's why I think it naturally I guess kind of fell into that as well I was scouted for my first princess job actually um, I was in high school I was doing um, a show I was the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland I know I've come back to that character many times over the years but the first time I ever did the Queen of Hearts um, this lady was a, a talent scout and she happened to bring her daughter to my high school. We were doing this charity event for Halloween time. We were all dressed up in costume and she saw me acting with little kids and oh, you know, in character, like as the queen. And so she walks up and she goes, you're gonna work for me and hands me her business card and walks away. <laughs> and I'm 16 years old and I go, what are you talking about? So looked it up and she owned a little character company here in Arizona. Um, it was a tea party place for like little girls and birthday parties. And so I started doing freelance acting there and then that transitioned into working for other acting companies. So crazy. It's been a crazy run. And I don't really know how like backtracking I got to this point, but that's, that's it in a nutshell as it started with the princess stuff. And that turned into, you know, me making things for myself. Yeah. So that's interesting that you kind of mentioned when you were saying that you can't really have any down days. So how do you turn it on and off? I mean, how do you, how do you control that kind of level of emotion, that oh. level of enthusiasm? <laughs> the, the, the hyper princess voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that. you know, funny, like if I, <laughs> so it's funny that you say that because sometimes I kind of do get stuck in character. <laughs> like I'll leave what I'm doing. And if I was, you know, speaking in a Scottish accent as Merida from Brave for the last yeah. two hours, I'll go home and be like, mom. And she's like, what are you doing? Oh, so, sorry. <laughs> I had to break out of character there. Same thing, like, you know, the live action Cinderella, she got her British accent. So sometimes I will literally get stuck in accents for a while with like just, you know, not thinking about it. But, um, you know, there really is no even turning it off for me. It's silly. And you can probably even tell from my always, voice yeah. right now, like I'm always a hundred and, you know, 110 miles an hour and <laughs> talk so fast and so loud. And, you know, I think that's why I went over my parents whenever I have a new class too, because they always go, oh, okay, she's really enthusiastic at best. So even if she can't teach her kids, at least she's excited to be here. So... <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, turning it on and off, I guess, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm naturally just very optimistic and, you know, I try to make the best of every day as is. And we all have our down days, but, you know, for that one hour of the day, I got to be my best me. I can't mope and grope on the, not grope, mope and grope. 
Hopefully that doesn't come up at all. No, I, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stray away from the groping at the princess parties, but, um, but yeah, no moping and grinding and whatever else. So I so, gotta be my best. So when you're going into a situation like that, where you have pretty much said it's like a structured improv where it's mm-hmm. just totally immersive and you just kind of, uh, go about it and entertain them however possible. Do you have to go in with a strategy or do you try to keep an open mind? Or- um, I guess over time, it is improv, yes, but every party is similar and I like to follow the same structure and the same timeline. Um, so usually an appearance is one hour, sometimes it's two hours. So depending on how much time you have and how much they book and the things that they request, um, there can be games, there can be, you know, that singing actually takes up quite a bit of time, photos, you know, birthday song. Like, So I've got an idea in my head of when I go in of what needs to happen and when. Um, always keeping an eye on the clock, of course, because we all know me, I could go on forever. Um, but yeah, every single time you literally never know what they're going to say to you because kids are off the wall as is. So take a theater audience and like, yes, improving for a quiet audience is hard enough. But when they start asking you things like Rapunzel, when are you going to have a baby? You you better have an answer in your head to go, well, you know, I'm not really sure if Flynn's mature enough for that sort of responsibility right now. It's a conversation we're going to have in the future, but thanks for asking. So... You have to make sure that you always have something in your head as a comeback. And over the years, I've been doing this since I was 16 years old, I've heard it all. So I've got to come back for pretty much everything that they can ask me. So it kind of fascinates me the idea of like going in as this already established character. So like, is that ever something that kind of is like hanging over your head that you are not only being a character, but you're doing an impression? Oh my God, it's huge shoes to fill. Holy cow. And you know what? It's so tricky because the Disney characters... um, they're at the Disney parks all the time. And so I always, almost always start my parties with the conversation of, oh my gosh, you all look so familiar. Have we met before? To tie in past experiences with the fact that, oh yeah, they're here right now. And then I always come back with, they go, yeah, yeah. I said, did we meet at Disneyland before? Yeah, we did. You're so much taller than you were then. And already they're hooked because those three little things go, oh my gosh, she remembers me. And usually the moms and dads are like, nice. Like they can already see how I'm like pulling them in from the first couple of seconds. So then, you know, if there was something that I said back then, oh, remind me, what did I say last time? Or you were wearing that cute dress, weren't you? And so something just generic enough, it's kind of like a magician, like something just right. generic enough that they're gonna be like, totally. Like or like a psychic axe, I'm getting a G. I'm getting a dress, you were wearing a dress? Is it a sparkly one? Yes, a sparkly one. <laughs> like, so it feels kind of bad because I'm being, you know, paid to professionally lie to children, but, <laughs> but they love it. They but they love great. it. Yeah. They love it. And they have so much fun and it's only an hour. And, you know, we take our pictures, we give our hugs, we say thanks and we move on. So what's always fun though, is seeing when they come back for multiple years in a row, like the next year, you know, parents will call and say, you are the only Ariel that they see in their mind's eye. We need to make sure that we have Amber or else it's not going to be realistic for them. So I've had families that have come back for three, four years in a row for their birthdays as they grow up and you get to watch them get big. And so it's like really heartwarming to see that sort of thing. So when you are taking on a new role like that, when like a new princess gets added to the stable or something like that, do you have to do a lot of pre-planning, a lot of research ahead of time, or do you kind of just jump in? I do, honestly, yeah, because as I said, sometimes these kids, they're more experts about what you're acting than you are. Like, they know their Disney movies, and they don't have a job, so they can sit at home, and they can rewind and replay Cinderella seven times, and they're going to know every line, and they're going to know every quirk, and they're going to notice every detail. I've had little girls before... Um, when I've been Snow White, down to the details. Like, it's crazy what kids see. She looks at me and she goes, Snow White, your eyes aren't brown today. 
Like, oh my God, the child remembered from the 1930s Snow White that she has brown eyes, not green. That's insane to me. So then the colored contacts started to come into play and I was like, holy cow, I cannot be off on one detail or they're gonna catch me. They're gonna catch me in a lie. Or they'll go, is that a wig? And I go, what's a wig? And I have to play stupid and act like I don't know what a wig is. Like, and so they're so bright, like they can catch onto the slightest thing. So yes, you have to be an expert and God help you, you need to know your lyrics for whatever it is that you're gonna sing because they're gonna out sing you. And if you say the wrong thing, they're gonna look at you like you don't even know your own song. So yes, it, it requires just a lot of like love and care. Um, and especially just knowing what you're gonna fit the part for. Like I obviously with my skin tone could not ever be Moana as much as I would love to be. Um, that's one of those things you just have to graciously give up to a beautiful lady of color who can do it way better than I could. And so, you know, same thing. You just know what you fit as and you know what you don't. Um, and the company usually knows what you fit best as and they cast you. So when they hire you on, they will have a character or two, maybe even three in mind for you. And then as those characters book, they'll see if you free and then they, you know, send you off on that little gig so that's essentially how it works in a nutshell but um yeah it's a lot of research and a lot of practice lots and lots of singing in the car on the way to your appearances make sure you remember what you're gonna do so how important is it i mean even beyond like the disney princess um like idea but just like creating different characters and stuff how important is it to have like a a good set of various skills like singing and costuming and makeup and that type of thing i mean there are really no rules. Like when we, when we, you know, kind of transitioning back, when we go and think of cosplay, none of that stuff is really necessary in order to, to cosplay. Cosplay is all about fun. It's quite literally Halloween on the weekends, multiple <laughs> times a year. There are zero rules for cosplay. Even though, you know, some people try to get elitist about it. They try to say, oh, you need to make your costume in order to be a cosplayer. You know, if you're not the person who sewed it, then you didn't make it. Therefore, you shouldn't be wearing it. No, we're literally just a bunch of adults playing dress up and running around a convention. So I go, hey, take a picture with you. Like, so it's silly. But yeah, with, cos with cosplay, there are no rules in the theater world you know, the tasks are designated to specialists. So I guess there are also no rules in theater either. The costumer is going to make the costume. The makeup artist is going to help with the makeup and hair and the lighting person is going to do the lighting. You're not going to find the lighting guy backstage powdering your blush on for you. So it's it's a weird little mix. It's it, like, a, like you said, it's a niche. It's definitely a niche of the art community because it's a little bit of everything. And if you're not super good in one area, there are 10,000 people who really, really are. And it's all about collaborating and sharing what you can do and asking for help in their little areas that you can't. Like, I make prosthetics, you know, elven ears and big bulbous noses and cheek prosthetics and like crazy stuff that I've, I've gotten into lately. But if you asked me like how to cast a steel ax, I would have no idea how to tell you that. But I can name you 10 people who can. Can they make prosthetics? No. So when they need elf ears and I need an ax, I know who to ask. So it's kind of fun in the community because the more you get to know people, the more you can see, you know, who's good at what, what do they market, what's their thing. Etsy is huge in our community because everyone has their own little Etsy store or, um, you know, it's just their way of selling their props or their wares, really. It's just a big, giant community of people sharing and and nerding out and loving each other. So if you find the right people, it's all about that. I was gonna ask that, I mean, is it pretty naturally collaborative? I mean, is there, cause I know that there, like you said, there is maybe some mm -hmm. elitism, there is some comp competitive aspects to it, so. Well, and what's hard is the cosplay community and costuming in general 
has become so mainstreamed lately, then that's when the nasty little trolls start to come out. So if this were still the underground society that it used to be like 10 years ago, when you would really be stared at very strange if you showed up in public in a costume, like what is, are you ill? Like now people just assume, oh, they're an actor. Oh, they're going to a convention. Oh, it's, it's something that they hear on the radio. It's something that they see on television. It's something that's so in their face with pop culture and the movies and everything coming out in theaters. It's so comic-y and nerdy and geeky. And like we're making feature films out of animes. You would not have heard of that 10 years ago. Ghost in the Shell? I'm sorry. You would have never in your lifetime seen Ghost in the Shell as a blockbuster film here in the United States. We probably shouldn't have in the long We shouldn't. It was a terrible movie. <laughs> but beside the point, we would have never even seen that. So the fact that it has become so mainstream is where that elitism starts to grow because people see the opportunity for profit. And it all comes back to money because the world is run by money and it's, you know, sad that that's what people focus on. But I wanted to ask about that because, I mean, it is, there's a way you can make your living from doing these cosplays yes. now. Like with Patreon, that's such a game changer uh -huh. for people coming up. So how do you deal with that as somebody who just wanted to do it for fun? Right. And that's, and that's what's hard is you just really have to not get discouraged and always realize, you know, keep yourself humble, keep yourself grounded. There will always be someone better than you accept it and love it and appreciate it because they're great and they work hard just like you do. So that's what I keep telling myself in my little moments of jealousy of, oh, I want to do that. Or, oh man, they did that so much better. Or, oh, I wish I could do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's natural. We're humans. We get jealous, but I really make it a very valiant attempt on my personal end to be a cheerleader rather than like a person who tries to you know, just jealous and trash talk people. Like, that's not me. So if I see somebody wildly successful, and there are a lot of wildly successful people in this business, especially I used to live in California. I used to be a, among all of those girls over there who are the models and they make four grand a month, you know, just posting pictures on the internet. Like, that's crazy, but you need to realize, yes, it's possible, but it's not always realistic. So unless you know, you're willing to dedicate your entire life to marketing yourself, which is what they do behind the scenes. You don't see all the work that goes into the behind the scenes to make the kind of money that they do, then it probably won't happen. So it is definitely an industry. It's growing. There's a lot more big business starting to get involved in us little people. And that's where the jealousy really starts to come into play. So with people getting sponsored by big companies, or I guess I could even equate it to sports, like the, the athletes that, you know, compete to get those sponsorships. It's the same with costuming is, you know, a $70 wig could be given to somebody for free. If they have 50,000 followers, they could be talentless, but because they have 50,000 followers, it's all a marketing game. So it's an influencer thing. It's absolutely what it is. So you could be the most talented person in the world and have 300 followers, but because no one sees you, then no one will ever know. And that's what's so fickle about this business. And that's why I just, I, you know, numbers are fun to have, but it's not all that there is to this. It's there's so much more, you know, to this this whole hobby than just numbers. So. And there is a weird thing that's that's coming up that I don't know, like how you want to speak on it or not, but um, it's definitely some some people I know have voiced their frustrations with the idea that there is such a benefit to be gained it seems nowadays from just being an attractive cosplayer oh, which is yes. like a weird thing to talk about and like a like because oh i mean everybody so wants true. to look good in their costumes and stuff but at the same time it's like that that does seem to really help out with followers and with patreons mm -hmm. and stuff like that people are willing to go down that route so i mean what's your opinion on all that oh it's just so touchy because everybody's got their own level of comfort and their own ways of showing confidence especially with women like some 
their mode of confidence is to show as little as possible and that makes them feel good. There are other women who feel just as good wearing nothing at all and they want you to see it. And it's hard having opinions in your head. It's hard being your own person, looking at someone's lifestyle choice that may be completely different than yours and not judging them. I'm even guilty of that. I sometimes, you know, get those jealous weeks and I'm like, really? She's making $4,000 a month because she shows more boob than me. That's not fair. But you know what? I got to reel it in and be like, okay, that's not, not the mindset to have. Like, you know, but we're humans. We have those thoughts. And sure, that's that's a lot of what's going on right now. Um, it's it's hard. I've thrown I've thrown the idea around and I've heard the idea and I've thrown around of if you're not pretty, then you better be damn good at what you do or else no one's going to pay attention to you. And yeah. if you're damn good at what you do and pretty, then you're going to rise to the top. So <laughs> it's just hard because, you know, again, pretty is a state of mind as well. Like, you know, we all have different ideas of pretty, but like a societal view of like exactly like you said, attractive versus not attractive. What is and what isn't. Another side of this that's also odd that you really don't think of is how female overpowered the costuming community is. There are male costumers that don't get the time of day, really, despite the fact that they are so immensely talented because... Who cares, right? Right, because, because that's what people think, because yeah. they think, who cares? There's no, there's no appeal there. Yeah. I, and on the flip side, I know a yeah. couple of extremely attractive, extremely cut, extremely modely models who got into cosplay, male models, who are now not having to work anymore because they found their niche and the fangirls came a crawling. And if there's one thing you want in this life, it's fangirls. So yes, fanboys are great and they get you your numbers too, but fangirls are 10,000 times more hormonal and crazy than fanboys are. So if you're an attractive male in this industry, you're gonna do really well, just like any male TV star would or any you know male A-list actor, like on its own scale and in its own community, of course, but yeah, the, the boys don't get enough representation. I'm just going to throw that out there. We need more boys doing cosplay and making cool things and, and showing them off in the world. And a lot of men, they they are the prop makers. I guess, yeah. you know, gender roles are already being established here in the costuming communities. The girls are the sewers and the boys are the prop makers. But I'm so thankful to know so many amazing women, even here in Arizona, who are kick-ass, like, kick-ass prop makers. Like, they're making, like, giant Ahsoka Tano headpieces from Star Wars. Like, they're you know, busting through those doors of what's expected and what's not as well. So I think that's why I like the community so much is because if you have the correct mindset, you can't do it wrong and there are no rules. If you want to be a giant hairy man and walk out to a convention dressed as Sailor Moon, then gosh darn it, you do it, my man. And there's going to be people cheering you on the whole way. So it's, it's about breaking boundaries and it's about being your own person and it's about just showing off what you love and it's a way of wearing your art really is what it is is it's walking performance art so yeah i'm glad you brought that up because that is an angle of it that again going back to like the idea of being a disney princess and becoming somebody who's already established like how do you take these characters that already exist and kind of express yourself through them mm -hmm. how do you approach it well as an actor i I can't help it. I naturally sort of fall into the personality of whatever character that I'm dressed as. Like, I'm not going to go bouncing around the room, like, as Take Off smiling and giggling with my mask off because that's not the character. I love to really get into that spooky creature acting when I'm... Sorry, take off the lava demon from, from Moana. Moana. Yeah. From Moana, yeah. I made the giant lava demon from Moana. It's like this enormous glowing volcano mountain goddess. It's wild looking, but it's not something that I would go, Hi, princess! And that's just not the personality. Um, just like if I were, you know, this badass villain character, I wouldn't be treating people happily. They'd ask for a picture, like, if you insist. And they, like, 
the people at the cons like that. They like when you're in character, but that's not always the rule because cosplay is not acting. So that's where the line gets fuzzy is because all, you know, there are people that dress up simply the fact that they like creating and then they like wearing it. There are some people who love creating so much, but they're not about wearing their creations. They're just commissioners. They love making stuff, but not wearing it. And therefore they will build for other people so they can enjoy and make their business that way. So there's no, there's no need to embody the character in the same way as when you're on stage acting for costuming. But I personally enjoy that just, just for fun. That, that's what makes me happy. But you know, not everybody has a personality that always fits their character. So as long as they're having fun, that's really what it should be all about. So there's how, not as many rules for that sort of thing. Yeah. How do you even decide who you're going to be, who is who you're going to express yourself through? Like if you do decide to be a giant lava monster demon, <laughs> like which tend as a side note, you did win an award for it recently. I did. Yeah. I won Best in Show at D23, which is the Disney um, convention out in Anaheim. It's down the street from Disneyland. And so it's every two years. It's a biannual show. Um, and I was competing with over 100 people. And they gave me Best in Show. So I took, like, number one out of everybody. I won first in my category, which was the Heroes and Villains category. Um, and then, yeah, me and my teammate, we took Best in Show. So that was really wild and unexpected. So that was fun. But that is awesome. But uh, so, again, yeah, to kind of go back to it, like, how did you decide that that was what you wanted to do? You, I mean, that's a huge time and effort commitment mm -hmm. and a money commitment as well. Like, how do you decide that this is what you're going to put your time into? See, with me, I love the community so much and I follow so many people myself because I'm not only like a participator in this community, I'm a huge fan of this community. Everything on my Instagram and everything on my Facebook feed is just costumers and costuming. So I have so many friends. I love, you know, stalking them and seeing what they do online. And, oh, what are you building? Or, oh, what are you making? It's 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 food for my soul and it's food for my creativity because I like getting inspired and going on there and I can't avoid it. Like what I'm scrolling through is I go, Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. And so it, that's why I like following people in the community. But on that same note, I've seen a lot of what's been done already. Like I've seen the Harley Quinns. I've seen the Deadpools. I've seen that. Like, I know what's popular at the time. I've seen all the game of Thrones stuff. So for me, I'm weird and I like to delve into those popular things, but look at the secondary characters, look at the underlying themes, looking at the things that people may not necessarily notice at first glance. And I like to choose characters that you may not recognize when you first walk by them. And I love when I walk by a conventions dressed as something and people go, oh, you're the, um, uh, oh, what is it, what is it, what is it? And I'm like, yes, struggle, struggle. I want to see you remember, do it. So I love that people vaguely recognize it, but they're not like, oh, another Harley Quinn. Oh, another this. So not, not to you know, poop on Harley or anything, I love Harley too. But for me personally, I like to give them something that they don't normally see you're not gonna see a lava demon walking down the street every day so i was like you know what this would be so much fun and i've not seen anybody do it yet so for me it's that sick little pleasure that i get from being the first to try something <laughs> so and i'm sure that it's a kind of a compliment to your own like creative skills if somebody can recognize something immediately without it being plastered yeah, everywhere on the poster exactly exactly and so that either just shows that they're a huge fan of whatever that particular thing was that you're dressed as or you know they just appreciate it so much that they go 
And on that same note, I've had a lot of people approach me that have no idea what I am. And that's almost an even bigger compliment. They'll come up to me and go, I am taking pictures of the coolest costumes here. You're one of them. I have no idea what the hell you are. Would you tell me please? And like, that's almost more of a compliment than somebody knowing what you are because they have no clue what you're even from, but they like what you built enough to stop you and ask about it. And then you get to share what you love with someone else and then spread the poison. It's wonderful. So, okay. So, I mean, is, would you say that there's any particular theme or like aesthetic that you go for beyond that, like uh, with the characters that you choose? Um, badass women is a the theme. Um, I like the, the, <laughs> the thuggy type women characters, like the mercenaries. The, the nebulas, the, the Colonel Coons. Yeah, exactly. The, car- the Yes. And anyone that's like F you to your face and is, you know, it's funny because I think that I like them so much that I'm drawn to them because, again, it's the opposite of how I actually am. So people that know me and then see me like trouncing around and like stomping around and being bitchy at these conventions is so funny to them because they're like, wow, that's like the opposite of Amber in real life. So it's fun for me to like be someone else for a day and, you know, the Nebulas and the Sergeant Calhouns and the Helga Sinclairs from Atlantis, like they're all just like in your face and evil. I like bad characters. I like villains. So I don't do them near enough, but if I had a choice, I'd do all the bad guys. I like those. Sergeant Calhoun. Sorry, it's like Colonel Calhoun. Oh, ah, you're fine. I'm going to have to cut that out Ranking. and just erase this whole thing. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so uh, so let's let's kind of walk through the process then. So you decided on a character. Like, what what is your next step? What is your pre-planning phase? How do you put it all together? Um, I like to draw... Um, a concept sketch that's where the theater the the thespian in me comes out and I'm like okay I want to see on paper what exactly is going on in my head because you can have a million thoughts swirling around in there but until you see it on paper you're gonna go oh that's atrocious no no we should not do that or yes that's it so um even with Teka I started when I was going to participate in that contest they needed um there was lots of hoops to go through because it's Disney and it's a big corporation and when you're at something on that level and you're going to be put on their website they want to make sure that what you're giving them on stage is legit so I had to create a, an elaborate like concept art explaining what I was going to do, how I was going to do it, what materials I was going to use, how was I going to bring this concept to life. So I had a huge write-up to even participate in that contest. So I obviously they wanted photos of the costume. It wasn't built at the time that I started. You know, I, I built that entire costume in like a month and a half. So when the time came to submit the paperwork, it wasn't even a thing. I didn't even bought materials by the time that I had started, but I had an idea. And so I painted onto acrylic paper, I scanned it in, I sent it in, and it was just a breakdown of everything I was going to do. So I always start with a concept of like, what do I want to do? What do I want it to look like? And then with me, um, I start hitting up thrift stores because I am a huge believer in recycling and using things that used to have a life and making them into something new, taking something old and ugly and tarnished and worn and, you know, making it into something better or refitting it to fit my body or chopping it up to use for something else. So instead of going to the store and buying a brand new ream of fabric to make something out of and spend all that effort making a shirt, why not just go to Goodwill or Savers and start searching around because you can find some incredible things for like $4 at Goodwill and that just saves you so many hours. And so um, Amazon's also a really great best friend. Of course, comes to where she can overnight something to yourself. But I really love the you know thrift stores, and you know I get a ton of my stuff from Goodwill. And in fact, most of the things in my own personal closet are from Goodwill as well. So um, it's just all about saving money wherever you can because this this hobby is not a cheap one. <laughs> it's not a cheap one, um, especially you know there's the cost that goes into your costume, and then the cost of actually getting to wherever you're supposed to go, paying for your ticket to go inside to that place, paying to feed yourself all the days that you're at that show, and buying all the things that you want to buy while you're actually there, and your parking, and coming home. So 
it's easily, uh, you know, a hundred dollar costume can turn into a $500 weekend by the time you get done with the actual show and everything itself. So you have to be really careful, especially with me as my teacher budget. Um, I have to make sure that what I'm doing is at a high enough quality that I'm proud of it, but that I'm not going absolutely ham and Joann's and spending, you know, two grand on materials. So I, I hit up thrift stores and then from there I start fitting things to myself, getting creative. Um, Sometimes I can see something that sort of works and then just fudge it the rest of the way. Um, I think that my biggest strength personally is painting. Um, I'm all about highlights, little lights, colors. I just, not to, you know, pump myself, but I have a, a good color sense. That's like what I'm proud of is like, I know how to paint something to make it look better than it actually was. Starting off as a painter, that's kind of what I did. So I'll paint actually on top of all of the costumes that I make. Um, and I will low lighten all the seams where I stitched and highlight on the, you know, high points because that just makes it look even more character. It makes it look more like a video game, makes it look more like bam in your face rather than just the stitches. So long process, but I start with my sketch, I go buy materials and then just kind of build from there. And for, for those of you looking to get into this, what you think is enough time to get something done and finished is never enough time to get something done and finished. You'll, you'll start a project three months before it's ready and you go, oh, I have so much time taking your time. And then you're up at 3 a.m. the night before going, what is sleep and screaming into your sewing machine as you're stitching over your own fingers trying to get something done. So um, it will always happen. You'll always hit what we call con crunch <laughs> um, where you know, run out of time and there's no sleep, there's no eat. It's just get in the car and go. And uh, sometimes things are held together with popsicle sticks and hot glue, but you got to do your best. So how do you decide what's worth it? How do you decide what's worth that time and it's worth that kind of sacrifice? Because I mean, there's so many opportunities nowadays. Like mm -hmm. yeah. you really don't. You just have to love whatever it is that you're doing. There's, there's no way to really decide like what's right or what's wrong for you. But I can tell you if it gets to a point where it's not fun anymore and it's not worth the amount of effort that's going into it, it's okay to give up too. It's okay to scratch that idea or revisit another time, throw it into a box and worry about it later. Like it is really for fun. And if you're burning yourself out by running yourself into the ground and you don't like what you're doing, it's not fun anymore. You're just doing it for the likes or doing it for the follows, then you're not in it for the right reasons. So there have been times where I've been so frustrated with something I've always almost scrapped the entire idea, but Sometimes just giving things a break and coming back to it when you're less pissed about it is helpful. So it's okay to throw in the towel sometimes and no one's going to hate you for it because everybody does it. Now, speaking of that, I mean, you, you had a really nice opportunity come up recently where you got some national attention uh, yeah. for one of your rival characters. Um, so tell us what you can about that experience and yeah. how that came about. Yeah. It was awesome. So, um, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, and Marvel. Guardians is like one of my favorite franchises that's ever come out. Um, and when the movie first came out, a couple, you know, it's been a few years now, it's been maybe four years now since the first Guardians came out, um, I was going to be a part of a costuming group with some friends, because again, we're all about collaboration, and sometimes someone's body type is so perfect, you're gonna go, oh my god, you would be the perfect X to my Y. And so then you like pull your friends that normally don't even go to conventions into costuming groups, because they're big bodybuilders, or they're like so tall, and they're the perfect size, or look for something, and you just nerd out, and you're like, oh my god, you'd make the perfect Vash the Stampede, or like something like that. So you see people that you want to like pull into groups. Anyway, I did that. And there was a friend of mine who is an ex uh, police officer and a military man. He's just this giant hulking guy. And I was like, you would make an incredible Drax the Destroyer. Holy cow, you need to cosplay with me. And he was like, that'd be super cool. And so we started Perfect impression. Right. Oh yeah. Shout out to you, Scotty, if you're listening. Um, so, um, but so, so it started off as just us two, and then we started pulling in more friends. We're like, oh my gosh, we should do a Guardians of the Galaxy group. That would be so much fun. So that was all those years ago. Well, 
all those years ago, again, we started something three months before, time went on, life happened, time went on. Amber had been working on the costume that entire time and we determined I was gonna make Nebula because that was weird and cool and Amber likes weird and cool and no one else would wanna do it and she was such an unknown character at the time. She had three lines in the whole movie but I was like, sure, why not, I'll do it, it's weird, let's do it. Um, it got to Phoenix Comic Con and I contacted the group, said, hey, are you guys ready? And not one of them had started. <laughs> and I, they were like, oh yeah, we're gonna have to bail on the group, sorry. After I had spent hundreds of dollars making this costume, buying prosthetic bald caps, paint for myself, taught myself how to body paint, like all the stuff, and they bailed on me. And I was so sad, and I was like, ah. Oh. So it wasn't really my friend's fault because he got caught up with work and life happened, sure. It's, you know, it was really his playtime at the end of the day. So if it doesn't happen, it's family is more important and life is more important. But so I had Nebula made. I reached out to this other girl who I'd never met at the time who had a Gamora because I was like, it's always more fun to go in duos. Maybe I'll just see if she'll be my Gamora to my Nebula. And sure enough, that girl is now one of my best friends. Her name is Ceremony Cosplay. Um, and she and I have traversed the world as the two sisters, Nebula and Gamora. So opportunity first struck at Phoenix Comic Con Fan Fest, which is the second little Phoenix Comic Con that happens in the winter time. Um, and we got contacted, she and I, by this photographer who was like, hey, this is gonna sound really crazy, but Karen Gillan, um, the actress who plays Nebula in the films and is also Amy Pond and Doctor Who, among many other things, very beautiful Scottish woman, um, is coming to Phoenix Comic Con Fan Fest. And this photographer's emailing me and he goes, so this sounds crazy, but I've been looking for a way to invest my money into something for fun. Would you like for me to, um, I was working in California at the time, have you come back home and I'll pay you to come and take a photo shoot with Karen Gillan? And I went, uh, let me just check my, yes. <laughs> so let me just check my freckle in a, in a hair here on my wrist. Yes, I will be there. Um, so I drove from California to Arizona on a weekend, took the weekend off from working at Disneyland because that's what I was doing at the time. Um, came all the way home. I put on all of my makeup. It took about five and a half hours to put it all on at the time because I wasn't that good at putting it all on yet. I've gotten much more streamlined over time. And this gentleman was incredible and he paid for 11 photo shoot slots with me and Karen at the con. These photo shoots cost about $60 a pop. Um, and so he just was a gentleman who had a lot to spare. And he was like, I like to invest in fun things. And this is something I'd like to do if you don't mind. And I was like, yeah. So not only did he compensate my time, but he also paid for me to have like a once in a lifetime experience to straight up hang out with Karen. Um, and 11 photo shoots, that's about 20 minutes of hangout time. So she and I just shot the breeze backstage. We sat back there, we talked, we hung out, we took derpy photos, like we just leapt in the air and made grotesque faces. And so she loved them so much that she actually printed the photos and took them home with her. That was the first time I met Karen. Um, and we hugged and we kissed and we were like, oh my God, you're so great to meet you. And she's adorable. And so she took off to go traverse the world and do whatever she was doing. And Sarah also came along with the journey too. She took pictures as Gamora and it was amazing. I got her autograph, great. Time goes on, time goes on. Um, it was a beautiful fleeting memory. And then the announcement comes out that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is happening. And I was like, whoa, so, so excited. Well, I had my Nebula Volume 1 and it's a wonderful costume, but I wasn't like a thousand percent pleased with it, but it worked. It was my first dabble at something like that. So it was good. Um, and then I get the most exciting email of my life, <laughs> which was uh, from the at marvel.com end of the email and I went, oh, I should answer this one. And I answer my email and it's this awesome lady um, who contacted me. She was in charge of the YouTube channel for Marvel. Um, it was one of the producers at Marvel Studios. And she essentially went, hey, Amber, it's been a while. Haven't seen you in a bit. 
Um, I forgot to mention, in this meantime, I'd also been to San Diego Comic-Con and dressed as Nebula. And I got a lot of, you know, I went to the Marvel booth and said hi. And so I got buzzed, like, oh, you know, wearing the costume. So I wore it. This lady remembered me from the prior San Diego and went, hey, um, so we remember you from last time. We saw your pictures of Karen floating around. So cute. Would you be interested in possibly making Nebula Volume 2 from the new movie coming out? Didn't, leave, didn't have any context to it other than just wondering if you were going to make it. And so I saw at Marvel.com and I went, um, I would be happy yeah, yeah. to make it. I had, did not have it in the plans just yet. Might I ask what you have in mind? And she told me that they were in the midst of making this new series called Marvel Becoming. Um, and Marvel Becoming is the process of the cosplayer or the actor getting ready from start to finish in a movie studio um, and then being filmed the process, the process of creation um, from start to finish of a character. And so I about peed myself and I was like, ah! so um, my answer was yes. But the only tricky part was now that I had a three week turnaround to completely finish this costume um, and then take off time from work, fly out to LA and shoot in um, this studio with this professional film crew and all this stuff. So Obviously, I'd never done anything like this before in my life, and I was terrified and excited and excited and terrified all at once. So um, I set to work, and I started going to upholstery stores and Goodwill and started piecing everything together that I could. Um, and somehow, by the grace of God, I managed to finish that thing in three weeks. So it wasn't a lot of sleeping. There was a whole lot of tears. Um, I had to get a substitute from work literally for one whole day just because I did not have any more time left. It was the yeah. day before I was supposed to leave, and I had to get a sub. I took a sick day, sorry, school, so I could finish this damn costume. Um, and so I did, and I went out to L.A., and they filmed me, and it was just the most memorable thing I've ever done like in my life. And it was the studio where they had filmed, you know, snippets of like blockbuster films. And it was like a Cinderella story for me. I'm just like a humble Arizona teacher bug, like being swifted off into the world of Hollywood. And it was insane. So that was the first time Nebula 2.0 was ever debuted. They were amazing. And they gave me all sorts of behind the scenes looks at the costume. They gave me um, concept pictures from behind the scenes. So I got linked into their file sharing network and they were sending me all sorts of footage of the actors backstage, like in their costumes, detail shots, them holding up color swatches for like test shots. And it was surreal. So I got to see everything Guardians before it even went on the big screen. And I shot, I came back home. <laughs> Fun story is we ended on 8.30 at night on a Sunday. I taught on Monday. So we drove, my dad and I, from L.A. at 9 o'clock at night through the night. I slept for one hour, woke up, took a shower, and went to go to work the next wow. morning. I was not a good teacher that day, but I did it. So, Put on a um, video. And then when the film, when the uh, Marvel Becoming episode came out, it got about like 700,000 views. Um, it was absolutely unreal. So it was the first... Um, dabbling of this new series, Marvel Becoming, has actually become much more popular now, and they've done a lot more episodes of Marvel Becoming. So I like to think I was like the little bit of a Kickstarter for them to start realizing, oh, this is really successful and it works. So it's great promotion, and they got to, you know, I got to help promote a movie and a franchise that I love so much. Um, then, of course, that started opening the door to other things, and so the Marvel Becoming episode was great. I got filmed by the LA Times getting ready in my hotel room for this San Diego Comic Con, and that was a big viral video that went around. Um, me talking about being a teacher and juggling this crazy life. And then most recently, I got to attend Stan Lee's 95th birthday party. So I don't even know if you knew that. Yeah, I got to go to his birthday. So not like, you know, an exact, like Mr. Marvel himself, like the Stan Lee, 95. Unfortunately, like very sadly, he had just lost his wife a few weeks prior. And we were worried that he might not be able to make it to the party. But bless his heart, he came anyway. Um, stayed for like an hour, hung out with all of us. And it was like 
on the side of a mountain on the Hollywood Strip. It was the mansion that they filmed the Iron Man movies in. It was Tony Stark's mansion that they used as like the background shots for the movie. So it was unreal. So I got to go rub elbows with celebrities. The Black Eyed Peas came to the party. Um, uh, it was Michael Rooker came to the party, like like James Gunn. Like it was unreal. So I got to go, but the only catch was, funny enough, I got to go in costume. So again, I drove out to LA for a crazy night. I got ready in a hotel room went to this Hollywood mansion, had the time of my life, and then drove home the next day. So I got to go in costume, but it, it was all because of this character. All of these opportunities came because I got so lucky to pick a really good, really unknown character that had very big potential. And nobody would have known that Nebula would have grown into the character that she is. And with now Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 going to be coming out, um, if you read the comics, no spoilers, but um, bigger and bigger, yeah. there's bigger and bigger, bigger things in store for Nebula, uh, particularly so with the Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos. So Nebula has been built to be a really big character, despite the fact that she started so small. And I'm really happy I jumped on the bandwagon when I did, because now I'm on Marvel's radar and they know that I'm the Nebula girl. So there's one last thing I want to ask real quick. Yeah. I know we're kind of wrapping up wrap the end of it, but um, just what you were talking about, just like being in these photo shoots and getting all these, all these filming and stuff like that, and you got to kind of have a little fun with it when you were taking these pictures with Karen and stuff. So I'm curious, like, when you're on the other side of the, the camera, when you're the model for it, how much input do you have into um, what's going on, what the pro like how the process is going, you know, how the pictures are going to come out? Oh, like with photo shoots. Um, yeah. So it all depends on, like, how the photo shoot came to be. Um, sometimes a photographer asks to work with you um, because they're interested in your work and you don't really have to pay them like they request you so right. like they say hey I love your costume would you mind if I shot that sometime so in that case it's more for the photographer's benefit they like to use you as a piece of art for their photography okay. rather than if a costumer needs photos of their costume then it's kind of flipped on its head if how I like to think of it as is if a photographer asks me I am their model I model how they choose. I do what they choose because it's their idea and they ask me to be a part of it and I'm honored that they would want to take pictures of me. So I turn myself creatively over to them. On the flip side, if I'm paying for a photo shoot, which I also do, I, I'll commission my friends to be my photographer, it's vice versa, and then the creativity comes to me. Right. I don't always know what looks best, so of course I ask them, please, if this is ugly, just tell me. But I, I decide the location, I decide when and where, um, as long as they're available. So it just kind of depends on whose creative idea it was to have that shoot. Sometimes it's completely collaborative, and I go, just tell me what to do, and I'm fine with them kind of posing me. And You know, they've, they're professionals too, like they totally know what they're doing, in fact, since the photographer I'm going to shoot with in a little bit is a wedding photographer during the day and he does costuming and fun stuff at night. So they're really professional and it's, it's really good to just have that respectful relationship of realizing that just like theater, if this photographer weren't here right now, you'd be a weirdo standing in the middle of the desert alone in a costume. <laughs> just like if you were an actor on stage, if the light and sound guy weren't there, you'd be talking to yourself in the dark. So Love it. yeah, it's a, it's a give and take with whoever you're working with. Well, talking about who you're working with and building those relationships up, um, questions I like to ask at the very end. Uh, first off, is there anybody that you would want to give a shout out to? Any artist of any discipline doesn't have to be cosplay. Anybody that you want to give some recognition to? Oh, gosh, there are too many to name. Um, I guess the ones that I talked about today was definitely Sarah. Um, Sarah Moni. It's funny because it's a play on words, but it's S-A-R-A. 
M-O-N-I, Sarah Moni. Um, she's on Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> Starbucks, am I right? Um, she's on Facebook, Instagram, everything, and she really is, like, the apple of my eye. And, like, that girl and I, like, we've done everything together. We've done Nebula and Gamora. We've done Sonic and Tails together. So it's really silly. Like, we just like to do duo cosplays a lot. And even if we're not the same thing, I still like to stay next door because she's the best. So um, Sarah Moni, look her up. Um, one of the photographers who's just really like saved my butt on more than one occasion and been so gracious to like give me his beautiful professional work for bless his heart. He knows I'm on a teacher budget and he knows that I can only afford so much and he, I would give him the moon and stars if I could, but he understands that I can't. So he's incredible and extremely talented and he's shot in everything ever. Um, Tony, T-O-N-Y, Julius photography, G-U-L-I-S. U.S. Tony Julius. Um, wedding photography, costume photography, graduations. He's amazing. And actually, I'm on my way right now, fun fact, to go to the top of a mountain to shoot with him as the sun goes down. So, <laughs> Is this going to be a costume shoot? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing Take Off. The Lava Demon. I never took any pictures during that whole process of going to D23. So I'm literally going to climb a mountain. It's like 110 degrees outside right now. Um, we're going to climb up there, get dressed, and take photos as the sun goes down. Um, it's a downtown where the zoo is so right on. Awesome. Yeah. okay anybody else off the top of your head um oh god there's so many talented people right. <laughs> um everybody in the costuming community if you're listening i love you um wow there's literally too many to mention but um most recently i worked with a fun one if you're looking for more fun people to follow online i'm best friends with a corgi yes folks you heard that right a corgi his name is kiba he is a service animal and a cosplayer um and his name on instagram and facebook is kiba k-i-b-a the cosplay corgi um and his mom owner is nicole and she's amazing so i recently did a whole photo shoot with myself as shadow the hedgehog and kiba the dog was uh was sonic the hedgehog and so we took a legitimate photo shoot but it was just me and a corgi and it was ridiculous and hilarious so i would say if there's anyone i could point in your direction those three people are who you're gonna get a lot of fun content from so okay and um beyond that any personal projects, websites that you want to plug? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's Amber Skies, like A-M-B-E-R, like the color, and Skies, like, wow, look at all those guys. Um, it's like skiing with an E-S at the end because I get a lot of S-K-Y-E-S. That's not it. Um, Amber Skies. <laughs> um, costuming, uh, creations. I make all sorts of stuff. So you can look me up. I have an Etsy store where I sell all of my props and my mold making. Um, I do a lot of Disney commissions and work and actually make the plaque in front of the Disneyland, you know, the sign when you first walk into Disneyland. I do all sorts of mold making and fun things. So an online store, I sell my prints on Store Envy. Um, basically, if you just head to Facebook, it'll redirect you to all those places. But Amber Skies Cosplay on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, DeviantArt, Patreon and everything else in a nutshell. You name it, I've got it. So if you Google it, it hopefully will come up. <laughs> if you Google it, it will come. All right. Uh, last thing I'd like to ask is, I mean, if you had to boil it down to kind of one piece of advice you'd want to give somebody trying to take the path that you've gone down, what would you want to tell them? Oh, my goodness. Um, I always say be yourself. There's already somebody else just like the person that you're wanting to be. Be you because it's it's different. It's special. Be your own shtick. Um, and most importantly, be stupidly nice to every single person you meet always and good things are bound to happen because I did not expect the Marvel contact. I did not expect the LA Times. I did not expect 20th Century Fox or like any of these crazy people that are starting to contact me. Just by networking and being yourself and being a genuinely good hearted person and wanting people's best interests in mind and not just looking out for yourself goes wonders. Like you could just do your best and, and be kind and, and really, really good things will happen. And even if those big things don't happen, you'll still be a welcomed member of this community and costuming. Like we love and we accept everyone, you know, 
gender, color, race, religion, everybody's welcome here. And when the mask goes on and when the makeup goes on, you're not you, you're that character. And we love you for you and that character all the same. So just be yourself. And I hope to see you out there in the circuit someday. Be yourself, do your best and be kind. I love it. All right, Amber, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.